Today's episode is part two of a conversation with Dr. Adam Soloff. If you haven't yet listened to part one, I would encourage you to do that and then join us back here for part two. Support for Real Paint comes from Genentech, a member of the Roche Group, who pursues groundbreaking science to discover and develop medicines for people with breast cancer. Learn more at gene.com. That's G-E-N-E.com. From Susan G. Komen, this is Real Pink, a podcast exploring real stories, struggles, and triumphs related to breast cancer. We're taking the conversation from the doctor's office to your living room. The COVID-19 crisis has brought the world together in hopes of finding a vaccine against this devastating virus. Vaccines can help us protect against viruses, but some scientists want to take vaccines one step further and use them to protect against cancers. Dr. Adam Soloff, a Komen-funded immunologist with a background studying viruses and vaccines, wants to create a vaccine against breast cancer. He joins us here today to discuss how vaccines teach the immune system to recognize a virus and how vaccines can be used to fight breast cancer. Dr. Soloff, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you back. Good to see you again. All right. Well, so listen, let's dig in. I've got, I've got six questions and I think some of them have sub questions perhaps. So let's just start right out. There have been speculations that the immune system plays a role in how sick people get from COVID-19. So for example, uh, some patients get really sick with COVID-19 and some only get mildly sick with no symptoms at all. How does your immune system react when you get infected with a virus? And how does this immune reaction relate to developing a vaccine? Yeah, sure. People with severe illness, people who really get the acute respiratory distress, who um, the ones who are really in trouble, that comes hand in hand with a really overactive immune response. So what happens is these individuals, their body's immune system is fighting so hard, it produces these immune hormones called cytokines. And cytokines are the hormones in your body that give you fever, that give you chills, they make your blood vessels dilate, they allow cells to get to different regions, but they, they cause all the, the feelings, the symptoms of that cold that make you feel pretty crummy. Mm. So let's say you had that, but then you amplify that up 10, 100 fold. So now what you get is called the cytokine storm. And that actually causes a lot of damage. That causes the patient to uh, have trouble breathing through kind of leaky vasculature. It can cause a whole lot of distress, but that can then push the patient who's already kind of on the edge past. Mm. So having that overactive immune response, and it's problematic, so much so that people are looking at treating the immune response. Can you tamp it down in order to stop those negative effects? That comes with its own problems, though, because you just don't want to knock out the immune response. The immune response right. is the thing that's protecting you, the only thing that's protecting you against the virus right now. So they're looking at, can you find specific factors? There's one of those immune hormones called IL-6, interleukin-6. Mm-hmm. And right now they're investigating whether knocking that down specifically, I believe with a drug that's used to treat rheumatoid arthritis. Mm. If you can knock that down, if that will help the patients. So it sounds like you're saying that, I mean, essentially you can't have too little of an immune response. You can't have too much of an immune response. It's gotta be kind of like just right in the middle, right? Yes, you're spot on. You know, too little leaves you vulnerable. Too much, you know, the immune response is incredibly powerful. So too much of it can cause damage in about any organ that you look at. The other phenomenon suggests how that relates to vaccine development, right? Right, yeah. So yeah. ideally in a vaccine, you'd love to give it prophylactically. So that means we're giving it before an individual is ever exposed to the virus, right? right. Or to the cancer or to the bacteria. 
So by the time the virus shows up, you have immune cells that know how to recognize it and take care of it. You have antibodies that can attach to it. So your body has a whole, you know, whole number of systems that are ready at the go if you're ever exposed to it. There is a very complicated problem with coronaviruses, and that happens with some other viruses, in that sometimes the virus can use the immune response to actually hijack the body to get in and to infect, right? Mm. It's a very nuanced problem of vaccine development. And, you know, everyone who's making, I think before we talked about the 78 vaccines that are already in production. Right. Everyone is aware of it. They're knowing. There are very sophisticated ways around it. Right. But it's just, you know, it's just to say it's a little bit more nuanced than, you know, the old days when you could kill a bug and be good. Right, right, right. All right. So let's talk about immunity for just a second then. So what does immunity to a virus involve? And, and can you also explain why plasma from a patient who's recovered from Corona-19 is currently being used in a clinical trial to treat patients with severe Corona-19 cases? Yeah, absolutely. So when you're infected with a virus, those cells will learn, right? They learn and they keep memory. So if you are infected with coronavirus, the immune system sounds the alarm, a whole bunch of things come into play, and those T and B cells learn specific targets on that virus to start attacking. Mm. They expand, you know, one of those T cells clonally divides, so one can become thousands and thousands very, very rapidly. When you get sick and you do this and you feel your lymph node, right? And yeah. your lymph node yeah. swells, it's yeah. swelling because all those, those white blood cells, all those T cells are packed into there and they're, they're ready to learn to go out and kill, right? So you think about if cells in the lung are, are getting infected and then they're dying. They're dying mm. because the virus is replicating. They're dying because the immune response is damaging, right? Well, we right. kind of need our lungs functioning pretty well. Otherwise, you know, we, we get in some distress. Right. And so what about the plasma from the patient? How does that work? Okay, so you're an individual who contracted SARS-CoV-2, so the, the virus that causes COVID-19. You hopefully had a mild disease, but your body's immune system was uh, capable to, to fend it off, right? And now you're, you're healthy. And after that, we think there's, you know, the evidence we are not sure yet, right? It's such a new thing. But the typical progression is you get sick, your body fights off the, the attacker, and then you're left with a, a sort of immunity. Right. You know, we just talked about the antibody-making cells and the killer T cells. Well, after you're attacked, uh, a certain percentage of those become long-lived memory cells. Mm. So they can float around your body for decades. And when they see the uh, same or very similar attacker again, they pop up out of nowhere. Okay. That memory response is why you can get vaccinated against polio or chickenpox as a kid, mm -hmm. and then it comes back later on. Right. So let's say you were an individual who had COVID-19, and then you, you recovered. So the idea is that in your, in your blood, you should have those antibodies floating around your blood. They already know how to stick on it and label it for destruction, and hopefully block it from getting into any more cells. When we talk about the antibodies... We're, we're passively transferring immunity from one person to another, right? Mm, so we can't do that with the cells. If we took the cells from your body and put them in mine, my body would probably recognize those cells as foreign. Mm -hmm. But the plasma, right, doesn't contain those same parts that would get rejected like a transplant. So you can take the plasma from you and isolate out those good antibodies or hopefully those good antibodies and dump them into me and they should theoretically be able to target 
the coronavirus in my body, no problem. Mm, okay. Now there's a lot of promise and that's done in different types of diseases. With everything with this virus, we just were learning. Yeah, right. The trials are right. running and uh, like, I think, I don't think that this is the most complicated virus in the world. Like this is not uh, HIV. I think that this time next year, there's going to be, you know, tons of treatments off the shelf for individuals pre-sick, you know, when you're sick, if you're a severe disease. But right now we don't. And the way to do that is, you know, the stringent testing uh, is the only way to be sure that something works or it just kind of look like it works. And that actually leads to my next question. You know, we don't have a vaccine yet for coronavirus and treatments are still emerging, but you've worked with flu, bird flu, HIV in the past. So more generally, what kind of misconceptions do you see? Let's say you've got a virus. Are viruses able to be helped by medicine? So yeah, so there are, and there are lots of different ways. Now, viruses in a weird way, and this is just nerdy scientists, are strangely beautiful. They're, they're mm. elegant in a way where they are so lean. They are so fit. There's no wasted parts. There's no wasted energy. You know, their whole job is to get into a cell, make more of themselves and go somewhere else. Right. And I will say, one of the fun things is that a good virus never makes you really sick. A virus that gets into you and does you harm or kills you, then doesn't make any more of itself. Right. A good virus is a virus like, you know, herpes virus which someone gets and probably carries for their lives and then gives it to other people. And they don't really, you know, maybe they know, maybe they don't know. But a bad virus, something that kills its host, doesn't ever go any further. Uh, so are there drugs? Yes. So there are drugs for influenza. You might have heard of Tamiflu. And before that, yeah. there was amantadine and romantadine. And they work on specific pathways uh, that the virus needs to make more of itself. Sometimes that's tough because oftentimes, like, they're not quite as effective they're not quite as good, right? Especially mm, these real right. rapid things. Like Tamiflu, I think, decreases the symptoms of influenza by a day and a half. Yeah, yeah. And you have to start it really early in the process too, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's an important thing if you have a flu virus that will kill you, like a avian flu, bird flu, one of those that right. jump species. For your right. common, you know, seasonal, is that a big deal? No, I'm glad it's there for people. Sure. I'm glad it's there for our patients. I'm glad it's there for, you know, those who are you know, immunocompromised or in need, but, but generally they don't work as well. And mm. the issue is that the viral replication, viruses just make tons of themselves. It's, it happens so, so quickly, uh, just feverishly. And right. then viruses mutate quite frequently. If you look at something like HIV, there are great drugs which have developed over you know, generations to treat HIV until it's right. much more of a manageable disease now than a kind of a death sentence that it was in the early days. Right, right. A lot of those will target the virus's ability to either get into a cell or make more of itself, right? Okay. So mm -hmm. a lot of the HIV, you might have heard of the cocktail, antiretroviral cocktails, right? So now you're targeting multiple things, right? So in a, in a viral infection like HIV, they're absolutely essential. Totally mm -hmm. need them. And they, they save lives and they do well. And we can do things like block transmission from a mother to child and delivery. Just a, a number of great things. But mm. by and large we don't experience antivirals like we do antibiotics. Mm, you come right. in and you have strep throat or your kid has strep throat and you take some antibiotics and you feel better. So we don't have necessarily as many options in antivirals as we do as antibiotics because I think the viruses themselves are more unique than bacteria. 
Mm-hmm. That said, mm-hmm. we're running out of antibiotics with antibiotic resistance. True. Other things I hear a lot of people would take like high doses of vitamin C. <laughs> yeah. Not like, okay, it's not going to hurt you depending on how much you take. If you take too much, it definitely is not good for you. <laughs> Maximum limit on everything. Don't. But if you take like, you know, the daily dose or something, that's not going to, it's not bad. But understand, right. like, so is eating fruits and vegetables. And so is taking yeah. a walk, right? And getting some yeah. exercise. And all those things go in to help your body's immune system function better, right? And there's great science on why metabolically and, you know, it sure. will make you stronger uh, immune wise. But like, you know, if you get on the plane and you take 10 times the dose of vitamin C and you're like, now I'm protected, you're not. That's a good one. Yeah. Things that we know right now that, you know, it's being drilled into us, hand washing. Mm. So washing our hands and being cognizant. A fascinating thing about hand washing, I watched a video about hand washing and it basically demonstrated that the normal way that people wash their hands misses, oh, like misses huge areas of the hands. It's like, I, I realized like, I don't even know how to properly wash my hands. I'm a grown man and I don't know how to properly wash my hands. I learned in that video. It was great. Yeah. yeah. So we're all, yeah. we're all kind of, you know, it's good to we're be relearning. Ready. We're relearning it. Right. Yeah. So last week we touched high level on the work you've done with Komen with building on previous research for how you've worked on the idea of a sort of Trojan horse technique to trick the body into fighting cancer. Can you elaborate a bit more on that? what you've learned and where you are now. Sure. When we talked about making vaccines, I started my career of making vaccines against viruses, coronavirus, influenza viruses, HIV. So the tricks there are that the virus mutates really quickly mm, and it right. burns out quickly. And so it's a really fast acting thing, but that your body already knows that the virus shouldn't be there. Your immune system already recognizes the virus as foreign and bad. Cancer, on the other hand, the big problem is it arises from us. Mm. It arises from our lung tissue, our brain tissue, and your body's default state is not attacking us, right? Mm. So that's the big problem in vaccine development for cancer is that we, we have to find effective ways to tell the body that this cell, which came from a, originally came from a healthy cell in you, is now bad. It's rogue and we have to attack mm. it and kill it. Yeah. For the Komen funded work that we've done in my laboratory, we essentially mix those two. Since it's difficult to take a a tumor cell and really get a good immune response against the tumor cell, not impossible. Mm -hmm. Uh, We used a a part of that cancer cell, which was discovered to be different. Okay. So this is where the, the science fiction comes into play a little bit. So we take that and we have the gene that codes for that sequence, that codes for the part that's unique to the tumor cell. Mm -hmm. We then take a virus. We're going to build our vaccine is made out of the shell of a virus, right? Sure, sure, yeah. Because your body recognizes virus as foreign and mounts a really powerful immune response against the virus. Mm-hmm. So we take a virus called an adenovirus, gives you one of the, one of the viruses that give you lots of common cold type stuff, right? Um, not lethal. We go in, we chop out a bunch of its genes that make, allow it to replicate and make more of itself. So now it's just a dud. It's like a blank virus shell. And then right. in there, we insert the target, the gene that makes the cancer target. Okay. And then we insert other things that actually go to, to really boost the immune system, to like supercharge mm. it, right? We shoot them in the arm and what happens is they'll infect cells. This is the Trojan horse uh, analogy, right? Your body immediately knows it's got a virus attacking it, right? So it, it mm. sounds the alarm. All the immune cells come rushing. They are coming to fight. But when they come to fight, they not only see the parts of the virus, but they see the parts 
of the cancer that we put in there. Okay. So they yeah. learned to fight the cancer, kind of we snuck it in there. Mm. So that's what we did. And the idea when we, we left off, you, got, you know, one of the things that I'm just utterly enthusiastic and optimistic about. So we don't have a cancer vaccine that really works well yet. Okay. And I, when I give talks, right, I track it back to, I think 1865 is when I put the first tested cancer vaccine. So you get like mm. 150 years of like right. brilliant people working on this. It's not for lack of smarts or effort or any of that, but we got 150 years. Why don't we have the cancer vaccine yet? My take is that there's plenty of great vaccines, but only in the past decade, two decades, did we really appreciate that it's not so much the offense, like getting a really good immune response to go and attack. Right. Cancer itself has all these strategies, this defense, you know, mm. it's all these protective mechanisms that turn off the immune response, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the first drugs, uh, the really effective drugs that modulate the immune system came on the market about 2011. Mm -hmm. And what they do is they block one of those off signals, right? So the tumor puts up all these flags and those flags tell the immune cells that come to the tumor, it's okay where you stand down, right? right. So those right. drugs block those signals that turn off the immune response. Yep. So this is a long way to, way to go. What Komen did was we had what we thought was a pretty cool vaccine, right? The latest mm -hmm. and greatest, all the latest tech, we're making the bigger, badder killer cells going against the breast cancer, right? And we're going to pair it with these, what they're called, the drugs are called checkpoint inhibitors, which okay. block the tumor from hiding. Completed the study in mice, took several years, many different vaccine formulations, different combinations of checkpoint inhibitors. And what we found was the checkpoint inhibitors do well in about... 20, 25% of people. When we vaccinated mice, even with our best formulation, the one that made the most super immune cells, we delayed disease, absolutely. We delayed metastasis, but we weren't getting a lot of cures. And then we mm. paired that vaccine with the checkpoint inhibitors that are you know, clinically available. And those numbers mm -hmm. got better, right? Disease delayed longer. And we were treating mm. mice. So we would get mice in the lab. We would give them breast cancer and we wait for that cancer to develop. So we were therapeutically treating them. It's different than what would happen if you came to the clinic. You know, if you were seen here at the hospital, you would come in and you have surgery. You'd have your, your tumor removed, depending on what's happening. But surgery is pretty much the first step. So in our model, we were just seeing if we could get the immune system to, to destroy the cancer without any other treatments, right? Right, right. We saw a little bit with the vaccine, but it was under, it wasn't what we want. We, you know, we're, we're out to cure disease. That's, that's why we come to work every day, right? Yeah, we paired right. it with the checkpoint inhibitors and we got a bit more, but still we were able to eliminate the tumors in some mice, but we were about like 15% of them. So mm. we went back to the drawing board. We went back in and looked at the tumors. You know, uh, we did this very deep dive analysis, looking at the individual cells, at the individual immune cells that were in the tumors that were able to get in and ones that were doing well with killing the right. tumors and ones that weren't right. doing well. And we found that one of the big differences is no matter how good the vaccine was able to make uh, immune cells in your blood that killed the tumor, when they got the tumor, they started to change. Mm. So we went back to the drawing board and we came up with one more thing. We found that our good killer cells were turning into a type of T cell that's called a regulatory T cell. So these regulatory T cells job is maintaining stable homeostasis, maintaining everything at a steady, safe, 
healthy level, they're the ones that turn off immune responses. Somehow, as our vaccine-induced T cells were getting to the tumor, the tumor was so powerful, it was shutting them down. Wow. And this really changed the way that I, myself as a scientist, thought about how we need to approach immunotherapy, how we need mm. to approach getting the immune system to gobble up disease. So what we did is uh, we went back and there's lots of drugs we have in mice that we don't have in people yet, you know, because it's, uh, you can be much more experimental. So right. we took a drug that's able to eliminate those regulatory T cells. And now when we did that, just by eliminating those suckers, we were getting, I don't want to say cures, we were eliminating our tumors in about 40% of mice. Wow, that's fantastic. That's a big improvement. It was wonderful. And when we paired it with a vaccine that went up, when we had vaccine and the checkpoint inhibitor, when removing these cells, we were eliminating our cancer in about 75 to 80% of mice. Wow, that's fantastic. It was, it was the big breakthrough that's going, okay, this is fantastic. So this is, the problem is we are, we are stepped, mice aren't people, right? Right, yep. It is constant bummer that we see some wonderful things that happen you know, in the lab, in labs like mine, but that it's so far away from clinical translation. And yeah. uh, it's part of what we're doing at Pitt, what we're doing where I am. I have my partner as a surgeon and mm -hmm. I came to Pitt about a year and a half ago to do translational work so that we could, I kind of joke, you know, he's a cutter and I'm a lab rat, but that we can pair up and we can take these things much faster to people, you know, that we can yeah. find out what's working and really uh, make that step into the clinical intervention as soon as we can. It sounds to me like, I mean, cause what you mentioned is, you know, we've got over a hundred years of working on uh, a cancer vaccine. It sounds like you made a, a, a pretty decent amount of progress over just the last 10 to 10 to 15, right? So that, to me, that's actually really encouraging. I mean, I, yeah. I know that you want to see it working in people, uh, not just in, in mice, but uh, man, that's pretty fantastic. So I think our work is really cool. Yeah. But if, I, yeah. if I'm going to be honest, I think you can probably go back 10 years, 20 years, maybe 30 years and pull a bunch of these vaccines off the shelf and they're probably fine. They probably do the trick but it's, it's attacking that tumor's ability to hide, right? Yeah. That, and even with yeah. our own work, and we're throwing the latest and greatest, most, you know, science fiction, genetically engineered viruses, you know, we're doing right. everything we can. And it wasn't great until we attack those mechanisms. Yeah. I think that's where we are as a field is that we understand this is a situation where the tumor's defense is greater than the offense. Right. That's fantastic. Adam, this has been really great, uh, really informative. I appreciate you. I appreciate the vivid ways that you describe the way the immune system works, you know, throughout the, your, your discussion and throughout your description, I almost think like armies battling is, you know, keeps coming to mind. So I really appreciate you, uh, you making it simple and taking the time to be with us on the show today. Thank you. This was a pleasure. If you ever have more questions, you know, call me up. I want to do this again. We'll definitely do this again for sure, man. Thank, thank you so much. This is fantastic. It. Take care. Thanks for listening to Real Pink, a weekly podcast by Susan G. Komen. For more episodes, visit realpink.komen.org. And for more on breast cancer, visit komen.org. Make sure to check out at Susan G. Komen on social media. I'm your host, Adam. You can find me on Twitter at AJ Walker or on my blog, adamjwalker.com. Thanks to Genentech for supporting Real Pink. To find out more about Genentech's latest advancements, visit gene.com. That's G-E-N-E dot -E com.